I don't know what it is about the Territorial Cup in Tempe, but in 2017, the day after Arizona State beat Arizona, Todd Graham, the then head coach of the Sun Devils, was fired. And here we are two years later in this in-state rivalry, another Arizona State win. And the day after, we get another coaching shakeup as Herm Edwards announced the dismissal of offensive coordinator Rob Likens, wide receivers coach Charlie Fisher, and tight ends coach Donnie Antis. So I don't know what the 2021 Ter- Territorial Cup has in store the day after, but a very ho-hum 24-14 win by the Sun Devils over the Wildcats has definitely been overshadowed by the coaching shakeup in Tempe. So yes, we'll still talk Territorial Cup, but definitely have to address the offensive staff changes that Herm Edwards announced on Sunday morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsitis.com publisher, Hode Rubino. And early on a Sunday morning, I got noticed that myself and a few other beat writers for Arizona State were summoned for a conference call with Herm Edwards. Truth be told, I already knew what the news was going to be regarding the dismissal of Rob Likens. I figured all along that because Charlie Fisher, the wide receivers coach, was a, a pure Rob Likens hire that his fate was tied in with Likens. And sure enough, he was also announced as not being retained for the 2020 season. With the overall struggles of the tight ends group, I can say I was shocked to hear the name Donnie Yantis as the third assistant coach who will not be part of the program going forward. These three assistant coaches are also not going to be part of the bowl game prep. At this point, we do not know when and where Arizona State will play its postseason game and its 13 contests of the 2019 season. But we know who's going to replace them in that capacity. AC running backs coach Sean Iguano and offensive line coach Dave Christensen are going to be the co-offensive coordinators for the bowl game. Offensive analyst Kevin Mawai will coach the tight ends, and fellow offensive analyst Derek Hagan will coach the wide receivers. So those are the interim positions, if you will, for the uh, Arizona State team as they're going to prepare for their bowl game probably closer towards the middle of December once the bowl game is announced. Obviously, coaches being on the road recruiting uh, makes it for a unique practice schedule, but nonetheless, uh, there'll definitely be some fresh faces out there coaching and also being recruiting uh, on the road, which I think is definitely a significant byproduct of this move. I said earlier today that I feel that folks like Kevin Mawai and Derek Hagan have very dynamic personality. They resonate with recruits, even though their recruiting responsibilities are very limited, can only do so on campus. I've definitely heard just in the short two years that Home Edwards has been here, good feedback from recruits on both members of the ASU staff. And now that you quote unquote unleash them on the road recruiting that can only enhance the Arizona state 2020 recruiting class and beyond that much more. Now, later on in the podcast, I'm going to answer questions that were fielded to me both on Twitter and from my subscribers at devilsdigest.com. So I'm going to try not to steal my thunder too much over here and talk about the background for this decision. 
Herm Edwards definitely made it a point to say that the coaching shakeup that he announced Sunday morning had nothing to do with the four-game losing streak earlier in the year. He really, he really didn't feel it had to do anything with wins or losses. It's just something that philosophy-wise, he decided to go in a different direction, decided it was a time to move on, have a different voice, a different person at the helm on the on the offensive side. He feels very strongly about Jaden Daniels being a very special quarterback that does need the correct offensive coordinator in place to maximize the individual talents of Daniels, as well as institute an overall offensive scheme that will utilize Daniels' talents as well as the playmakers around him. And he strongly felt that the outgoing coaches were not going to be the answer to his vision on that side of the ball. Not to belabor the point, but the fact that Rob Likens from day one was never a Herm Edwards hire really kept him on a short leash, I felt, as it is. And maybe 2018 was just a season where both coaches are trying to feel each other out, see which direction they want to go. In 2019, even though you had a true freshman signal caller in Jaden Daniels, you hoped that both coaches were on the same page on what exactly they wanted to get out of this offense with Jaden Daniels at the helm. And I agree with Herm Edwards that the warning signs, and he didn't really use a specific example, but when you are struggling really early in the year against the likes of Kent State and Sacramento State, where you have the ASU defense dominating those two teams as they should with the huge talent disparity on offense, that was a whole different story. And I understand that those in those games, you still had one true freshman starting at center in, in, in Donovan West. Obviously, you had Jaden Daniels as a very inexperienced quarterback, but you still had, you know, Benjamin, you still had Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Williams, Frank Darby, a wide receiver. And I feel that Herm Edwards, even without saying it, felt that the offense was certainly not clicking from day one, even with all that talent on that side of the ball. That was worrisome. Now, the 5-1 and one record, I'm not saying was achieved despite the offense, but let's make no qualms about it. Anybody who saw the games or can just read a box score from those contests know that in each of those five wins, the Arizona State defense played a huge part. I mean, I guess the exception somewhat would be the Washington State game. After all, that air raid offense by the Cougars takes a toll on many defenses in the Pac-12, but... When it came to crunch time late in the fourth quarter, the Arizona State defense did come up with their stop, and Jaden Daniels was able to engineer another fourth quarter comeback to win the game for Arizona State. But really, in the games proceeding to that, the offense really stalled quite a bit. Again, you give somewhat of a discount, for lack of a better term, when you're facing a team like Michigan State on the road, your offense is definitely not going to run up and down the field in Spartan Stadium. But the other games, as I mentioned, to see the offense really sputtering quite a bit, really needing the defense to bail them out time and time again, those I'm sure were huge warning signs for Arizona State. And then comes the four-game losing streak. And granted, the defense definitely didn't have its finest moments of the season during that stretch, but the offense still continuing to struggle was definitely 
a very uh, sore site for Herm Edwards and his staff. So I think that somewhere, somewhere in the middle of the season, the decision was already made. Herm Edwards made it sound like he was very open with his communication with Rob Likens and the other two coaches, and that this decision probably should have not hit them as a surprise. He didn't really use those words exactly, but the spirit of Herm Edwards' narrative today was definitely in that vein that these three coaches knew exactly where they stood with Herm Edwards and that really this should not be a surprise when the announcement of the termination of their employment at Arizona State did come down. Just to add more context to this, I really felt that talking to team sources all year long, they were not impressed with Rob Likens's game management. They were not really taken to his creativity again, trying to utilize every possible ounce of the talent that Jaden Daniels possessed. So those are some other factors that really came into play when Herm Edwards made this decision. I think it was important for Herm Edwards to be very decisive in his resolution on the coaching changes because the Herm Edwards critics out there think that he just came to Tempe to have a cushy retirement with his good friend Ray Anderson as the athletic director and wasn't really all that interested in fixing the program and leading it in the right direction. And I think that a decision such as he made on Sunday morning, definitely a big coaching shakeup, not even waiting until after signing day, heck, not even waiting 24 hours after Arizona State beats his arch rival in his regular season finale, definitely made a strong statement, even for those who still may doubt Herm Edwards. In terms of possible candidates, one name is really emerging quite a bit as the leading name to replace Rob Likens at offensive coordinator, and that is Hugh Jackson. Really interesting to see the career of Hugh Jackson, who actually was a coach at Arizona State under the late Bruce Snyder between the years 1992 and 1995, started out as a running backs coach and then coached Sun Devil legend Jake Plummer in 1995. He left Arizona State just before their Rose Bowl year in 1996. Uh, After that, he coached at uh, USC for quite a bit. And then since 2001, has been in the NFL with uh, stops at Washington, Cincinnati, Atlanta, Baltimore, all as an assistant coach on the offensive side. Was actually the Oakland Raiders head coach in 2011 and uh, came back to Cincinnati uh, again as an assistant on the offensive side and then had his second head coaching stint in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns between 2016 and 2018. Truth be told, didn't have the greatest track record in the NFL as a head coach, but obviously entrenched in the NFL quite a bit. And speaking of that, worked uh, closely with Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati for several, several years. So you really have someone who checks the box of having ties to Arizona State, even somebody who still has a residence over here in the Valley, knows Marv Lewis, the consultant for Arizona State's football team these days, uh, basically Herm Edwards' right-hand man in many regards. And obviously, because he knows uh, Marvin Lewis uh, very well, he's naturally no stranger to Herm Edwards. So definitely an intriguing name that's being brought up over here early. Like I said, you have a lot of different uh, dynamics working in play over here. 
And as my staff writer, Jordan Kay, recalled that Hugh Jackson, I believe it was for the uh, USC game a couple of weeks back, was actually seen uh, in, in the press box. So he's been uh, on campus as late as the beginning of November. I don't know if the seed was already planted at that point. I don't think it's out of the question to think that it has been. Again, the strong relationship with Marvin Lewis and knowing Herm Edwards pretty well definitely paves a smoother way, if you will, for Hugh Jackson to be the next offensive coordinator at Arizona State. We'll see if that materializes. Right now, there certainly is a lot of smoke, if you will, when it comes to him as a potential replacement. I'm going to circle back to the topic of the coaching shakeup that took place Sunday morning in Tempe through the dozens of questions that you did uh, send to me. I know a lot of them do touch on this topic, but I just wanted to, for now, lay out what exactly happened, why it happened, what do we think may happen in terms of a replacement, just to give everybody a general idea of the coaching staff situation on that side of the bowl for the Sun Devils. And again, as mentioned earlier, uh, some may forget that there actually was a Territorial Cup game that was won by Arizona State for the third time in a row. So let's talk more about a very successful regular season finale for the Sun Devils. Yes, we do have some actual football on the field that was played on Saturday night to discuss in the podcast as well. And a game that is always a big contest, obviously grabbing the attention of Sun Devil fans quite a bit year in and year out. But maybe a lot of luster of this game was lost by the fact that Arizona came in riding a six-game losing streak, no bowl aspirations whatsoever. Arizona State already securing bowl eligibility the week before in a big win against Oregon. And not that anybody expected a letdown by the Sun Devils, and we certainly did not see that last Saturday night. But it just didn't seem there really was a lot of buzz, if you will, coming into this contest. And for those who expected an offensive shootout, definitely did not get their money's worth. Both, Both teams actually under 400 yards of total offense. U of A with 383, Arizona State with 338. And this is a game where I thought that the Sun Devils could have a much more balanced offense than we've seen in many contests this year, both in wins and losses. And here we have Arizona State only with 104 yards passing. Jaden Daniels really had a hard time getting the passing game going. I know that as bad as the Wildcat defense is, the cornerbacks is definitely not one of their Achilles heels in comparison to other positions on that side of the ball, and that the cornerbacks really didn't give the wide receivers for Arizona State a lot of breathing room. But we did see a lot of overthrown balls by Jaden Daniels, really maybe one of the most inaccurate games that we saw all year long by the true freshman. And we all expected and already have seen those true freshman moments, if you will, by Jaden Daniels, and I think Saturday night against Arizona was just one of those nights where the signal caller could not get the passing game going. 
But again, I think you should, you have to give some credit for the Arizona defense who did a really good job blanketing receivers such as Brandon Ayuk and, and Frank Darby, who absolutely went nuts over Oregon just the week before. And I think they were able to study that game film really well and really halt the Arizona State passing game quite a bit. But when it comes to the Arizona State's rushing attack, we finally saw the Eno Benjamin that we expected to see all season long. I believe this was the last game for Eno Benjamin in Sun Devil Stadium, let alone in a Sun Devil uniform. I do expect him to declare for the NFL draft in the next couple of weeks. I do expect him, much like Nikhil Harry last year, to skip the bowl game as to not to risk any injury before the NFL draft. And you talk about saving your best for last, saving it for a team that you know Benjamin absolutely despises. He said in early May that he wanted to be the most hated person in Tucson, scoring three touchdowns in last year's Territorial Cup game. And last Saturday, 168 yards on 34 carries, scoring two touchdowns. Also had 14 yards receiving so I think mission accomplished when it comes to Eno Benjamin not being a fan favorite down there in, in, in the old Pueblo. Jaden Daniels, our quarterback, really had one of his better rushing games with uh, 15 carries for 62 yards. He was sacked uh, three times, which obviously affects his rushing totals. But overall, I think that Arizona State was content to play smash mouth football in the second half, offensive coordinator Rob Lykin said after the game that he wasn't going to beat his head against the wall, so to speak. He knew that the way to really establish dominance, to put points on the board, to move the chains, was just to play old school three yards in a cloud of dust on the ground. And that approach worked very, very well for the Sun Devils. I still think there's a measure of disappointment that against the worst defense in the Pac-12 that the Arizona State offense was having so many difficulties scoring only six points in the first half, but 18 points in the second half were, were the difference. And that really brings us to the Arizona State defense, which once again really has to carry the jockstrap of the ASU offense, a theme that we've seen recurring a lot, especially early in the year. We talked about it quite a bit in previous podcasts, and last Saturday night in the Territorial Cup, it was really more of a same. An absolutely opportunistic Arizona State defensive backfield that intercepted senior quarterback Khalil Tate three times. Khalil Tate passed for only 228 yards and had two touchdowns. Did do quite a bit of damage on the ground, carrying the ball 11 times for 78 net yards, was only sacked once. And him and also J.J. Taylor actually had somewhat of a quiet night, 14 carries for 48 yards, but at times really gave this Arizona State defense quite a bit of fifth. And I was surprised, like many else, even the U of A beat writers for that matter, that uh, Grant Gannell, who is the other quarterback for the Wildcats, who really was employed in a two-quarterback system for a good portion of the 2019 season, did not even see one snap yesterday or on Saturday, I should say. He basically was the starter on senior night for the Wildcats the night before, which I think was quite the slap in the face to Khalil Tate, something that I'm sure even a lot of Wildcat fans did not take too kindly to. So maybe the payback 
if you will, for what took place in Arizona's last home game of the year was really to play Khalil Tate exclusively for all 60 minutes, and the results really were not that great. Khalil Tate has never been known to be a prolific pocket passer. I mean, sure, he has shown a lot of flashes here and there, but as far as consistency, it never was there, not only this season, but throughout his career. And I think that what you saw Saturday against Arizona State, throwing the three interceptions, really was a strong manifestation of that. To Tate's credit, his elusiveness really gave the Arizona State defensive line quite a bit of issues as they were only able to sack him once, and that was by no other than Jermaine Lole, who the second half of the year has been one of the defensive standouts uh, for the Sun Devils. Evan Fields, with 10 total tackles, uh, led the way for this side of the ball for Arizona State. But if you have to pick an MVP for the defense in this contest for the Sun Devils, that title should definitely go to junior cornerback Jack Jones had two of the three interceptions for Arizona State, tied for third on the team with six total tackles. There's some speculation that this this may be the last game that Jack Jones played in Sun Devil Stadium. There's some rumors out there that he might declare for the NFL draft. I know some would may disagree with that decision. I think there's some other factors that come into play over here with such a decision. But if this was indeed Jones's last game at Sun Devil Stadium, much like, you know, Benjamin, he definitely went out with a blaze of glory. So overall, a very strong performance, I felt, by the Arizona State defense. As much as you may look down on a team like Arizona, who ends the year with a seven-game losing streak, don't lose sight of the fact that this is an offense that, for a good portion of the season, and definitely coming into Saturday night's contest, was a top-five offense in the Pac-12, and that is a feat that should never be glossed over or minimized. And for the Arizona State defense to play as well as they did in such a game where the passion can take over the emotion, I felt that this was definitely one of the better performances on this side of the ball for the Sun Devils. So later on in the year, we're going to recap the season that was for Arizona State. But if we just take a quick snapshot of the regular season. Needless to say, quite the roller coaster for Arizona State, starting 5-1, and one, going in a four-game losing streak, and ending with an improbable win against Oregon, and beating its arch rival to match the regular season record of 7-5 and five from 2018. I know it's easy just to look at that fact alone and say that no progress was made from year to year by the Arizona State program. I think the progress is pretty subtle, but I definitely don't think that this program regressed from 2018. I think when you talk about the youth on this team, it's definitely evident, needless to say, quite a bit. On the offensive side of the ball, Jaden Daniels, a true freshman, Donovan West at right guard, a true freshman, Ladarius Henderson, who did not play on Saturday due to an eye injury, but he was your true freshman at, at left tackle for nearly the entire season. So all those factors in play, I feel, really affected the pass blocking and the raw blocking for Arizona State. That's why Eno Benjamin really had a hard time going. But at the end of the day, he is able to notch back-to-back 1,000-yard season, something that is definitely not commonplace in Tempe throughout the years of this program. When you look at the Arizona State defense, 
uh, I thought that they had an outstanding September, really took their lumps after that. But I think when it counted the most uh, in games like like against Oregon, uh, earlier against teams like Cal, Washington State, uh, this defense definitely played lights out in the fourth quarter, something that really they've done for a large number of contests this year. I know the slow starts is what really plagued this group. The slow starts is what people may remember, failure or not, the most from this Arizona State defense in 2019. And that's an issue that was also detrimental in Arizona State, not being able to post a mark that was better than 7-5 and five at the end of the regular season. So we'll see uh, what the bowl game in stores for Arizona State. I think it's definitely a team that can win an eighth game, regardless of the opponent that it's going to face. But uh, I think that also nothing is given with a squad that definitely has, I believe, a small margin of error on both sides of the ball. That really has been a theme all year long. And we'll see if they can make that modest progress from 2018 to 2019 and finish with eight wins. So as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, a large mailbox awaits me with your questions. So let's get right to it. As always, with these questions for the podcast, I'll start uh, taking care of the people who take care of me, my subscribers at devilsdigest.com. If you're not a subscriber already, we got a great holiday promotion going on all throughout December 3rd. We got all the details on our front page at devilsdigest.com. Also on my Twitter feed at Devil's Digest. If you check my timeline, I mentioned the promotion over there. Great, great savings and getting free ACU gear. Can't think about a better combination for this time of the year. So starting with those questions from the Devil's Huddle, first question comes from Peacock45. What are your top five for each open spot? I don't know if I have a top five quite yet for all the positions that did open. And it's also kind of hard to make such a list just because we don't know if the tight ends coach will merge with the offensive line coach, if the incoming offensive coordinator is actually going to be the tight ends coach as well. But I think when you look at names that are being mentioned out there, uh, the looks like leading candidate for the wide receiver coach position is uh, Prentice Gill, and I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. He's actually an offensive analyst at the University of Oregon right now, but spent a lot of years at USC and has background coaching in high school's in Southern California, such as uh, Narbonne and Harbor City, as well as Long Beach Poly. So that is definitely one name you want to keep in mind as far as a wide receivers coach. In terms of offensive coordinator, already mentioned Hugh Jackson earlier in the podcast. Quite a bit of compelling reasons right there to believe that he could be, at least for now, the leading candidate for the Sun Devils to replace Rob Likens at offensive coordinator. The next question comes from Sparky BMXer. 1-3. What happened with Ayuk? Did he get injured uh, in the uh, Arizona game last Saturday? So basically, yes, uh, Ayuk, as Rob Eichen said after the game, was really nicked up 
in the Oregon game the week prior, uh, was not able to really fully practice all week long coming into the Arizona game and definitely was not 100% healthy when that contest kicked off on Saturday night. That definitely affected the uh, passing game woes that Arizona State had that evening. So that's something really uh, to keep in mind, along with some other factors that really caused Arizona State to be quite one-dimensional, albeit successful, against uh, against his arch rival. Uh, Sparky BMX are also asked, what's the total count of coaches that have now been let go after beating University of Arizona? Well, I can think of Dirk Cutter and his entire staff in 2006. Uh, Dirk, Dirk Cutter actually was fired from ASU after going back-to-back with a 7-5 and five record. Ironically, Todd Graham, two coaches later, was given his walking papers Oh, after also compiling a 7-5 and five record. So those are the head coaches that were dismissed right after the U of A game. Obviously, Dennis Erickson in the middle was there too. But uh, when you talk about uh, beating Arizona, which Dennis Erickson did not do in his last game as a Sun Devil head coach, then those are two names that do come to mind. So this was a case, obviously, where a head coach was not fired, but actually three of his assistants. So yeah, I think uh, that last uh, game of the year against uh, Arizona sometimes does not bring uh, the best of news for the Arizona State head coach and his assistants, even in victory. So that's just one of those ironic coincidences, I guess. The next question comes from Ty Cap. Are Brendan Ayuk and Eno Benjamin likely to sit out the bowl game? Seems to me there's really not much to gain for either one, but risk of injury is a major consideration. Absolutely. And I mentioned that early in the podcast, I expect both Eno Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk to sit out the bowl game. Uh, Brandon Ayuk obviously being a senior, he's not declaring early for the NFL, but some draft experts like ESPN's Todd McShay have them slotted as a potential first-round draft pick. He may be closer to a second round, but nonetheless, a lot to lose with him playing in the bowl game. And ironically, the heir apparent to Nikhil Harry, who skipped the bowl game, last year in Las Vegas to help him prepare for the draft, an event where eventually he got selected in the first round by the New England Patriots, then I do expect Brandon Ayuk to follow suit, even though he's just a senior, exhausting his eligibility going into the draft. I expect him as well to skip that game. Uh, You know, Benjamin, just by the virtue of playing running back, you are uh, more prone to injury than a lot of other positions on the field. No need for him to risk his NFL future over a ball game. So, yes, I totally expect Brennan Ayuk and Eno Benjamin to sit out the ball game wherever they may be, whomever it will be against. Next question comes from Big BA Devil. There's a lot of talk about Herm's offensive philosophy. We know what he ran in the past and what we ran here for the last two years. But in a dream scenario, what does Herm's ideal offense look like? I feel like his Kansas City offense back in the NFL was because of his personnel dictated the offense, but is not as I- was ideal. He said he wants a team that scores over 30 points, but how? Who in college football runs his ideal offense with similar personnel and resources as Arizona State? That's really a good question right there. I think that USC and Stanford in their heyday were able to score over 30 points, having a very balanced offense, definitely not abandoning the run by any means, maybe running a 55-45 run pass distribution, but nonetheless, he still wants his offense to be explosive in the passing game. He believes 
and it makes total sense when you think about it, that a stout running game will force defenses to give you more opportunities, especially on one-on-one matchups, to really explode with your vertical game. So I don't think Herm Edwards expects to score 30 points when you're rushing the ball 250, 300 yards. That, more often than not, really is not feasible when you have those numbers along with an anemic passing game. So I think Edwards is seeking the balance. He will always tilt more towards the run rather than the pass, but he knows that once you have an effective ground attack, that opens so much more for the passing offense. You don't necessarily have to line up in an air raid with four, sometimes even five wide receivers on any given down just to really put up points on the board and move the chains as many ways to skin a cat. And I think that Herm Edwards' approach is really just having the balance in your offense be the catalyst to the explosiveness that this unit should generate. Next question comes from uh, Ty Cap again. Are we destined for Hugh Jackson part due at Arizona State, this time under NFL model? Will Hugh's offense featuring the quarterback look look like? Or what uh, what the Hughes offense uh, featuring the quarterback would look like? Uh, that's something that's really kind of hard to determine right now because at the end of the day, you do match the personnel to the players that you have. I don't think Hugh Jackson at all would uh, handcuff Jaden Daniels from being a true dual-threat quarterback. I think also that Jaden Daniels has proved time and time again that he's going to be a very sound decision-maker, and he will throw the ball away rather than make a careless mistake. He will only run when he absolutely needs to. He won't use that as a first resort. It still amazes me that here we're talking about a true freshman quarterback that only threw two interceptions the entire year, played in 11 of 12 games, so huge sample size, obviously, in place. And one of the interceptions, by the way, was a Hail Mary garbage pass, if you will, against Utah. So you have an extremely accurate uh, quarterback that can definitely make plays with his feet, and I think that Hugh Jackson, by and large, will just allow Jenny Dallas to be as creative as possible, really to utilize his entire arsenal and not pigeonhole it hole into one scheme, absolutely dominating the other. So I think he's going to give him uh, free reign. But I think Hugh Jackson, at the end of the day, as I mentioned earlier, with the directive of Herm Edwards, is ever going to have an offense that's going to be more run heavy. We're not talking 70-30 or 75-25, but maybe 55-45 could go even up to 60-40. But again, with the notion that a stout running game just starts a really vicious domino effect, if you will, for your opponent on the other side of the ball trying to slow it down. Next question comes from Sun Devil Mike. Any good high school coaches in California that may be ready to make the jump to the college ranks that could bring some guys along like Antonio Pierce did? Honestly, I'm not aware of any, but I really would doubt that Herm Edwards would dip to the high school ranks again like he did with Antonio Pierce. I think that Pierce's background, his personal relationship with Herm Edwards is what really drove that hire. And I don't think Herm Edwards is going to make a habit of hiring coaches from those ranks year after year. So uh, all in all, I would expect the coaches that Herm Herm Edwards is going to hire to replace those three departures are going to be, first and foremost, from the NFL ranks. And if not from those ranks, then definitely the college ranks. But I don't see him just plucking 
a high school coach like he did with Antonio Pierce when he first arrived in Tempe. Another question from Big BA Devil. Do you expect ASU to have 15 players enter the transfer portal in this offseason or was last year clearing out Graham's roster lint? And from here on out, there'll only be five, seven portals entrance a year like similar Power 5 teams? Absolutely. I do expect the latter scenario of having a handful of so players enter the portal. I know it's no comfort for anybody to see such a large number of transfers from the Arizona State program the last couple of years, but that is the necessary evil, if you will, when you bring a new coaching staff in play. And as the case is often, players from the older regime, by and large, do not fit what the new head coach and the new staff want to run. Yeah, we see have notable exceptions like, you know, Benjamin, Cole Cabral, uh, Kyle Williams, but the maybe not majority of the players, but a good significant portion of those players are recruited under Todd Graham for one reason or another were not a good fit under Herm Edwards, under the schemes that he ran on both on offense and defense, and that's why he saw the mass departures. So, yes, I do definitely expect that number to slow down quite a bit and see just around the quote-unquote normal handful of players depart the team into the transfer portal year in and year out. Next question comes from Sun Devils 80. What is your best guess on how we close out the 2020 class? Uh, Hang tight, Sun Devils 80. I do have a recruiting piece coming along exclusive for my premium subscribers. The early period signing day begins in about two and a half weeks. So there's going to be a lot of discussion between now and then on that topic. And I will have, as I mentioned, a premium article later on this week on that very specific topic. Next question comes from Jason EGZ. Is there a chance that Brandon Ruiz, uh, the kicker that left the program, will uh, come back to Arizona State uh, based on a message board post that he was seen around the team recently? I really, really doubt it. Uh, I listed all the details for his departure when it did uh, take place early in the season. I don't want to go over it in the podcast, but let's just say that there's definitely been an atmosphere created that wasn't conducive at all for Brandon Reese coming back. I know he took at least one visit to another Pac-12 school, Oregon State to be specific. I don't know what other visits he may have in place, but I really doubt that he takes his name out of the transfer portal and joins the ranks again in Tempe. The next question comes from Sun Devil Rob. You don't see many offensive coordinators fired after winning against a rank, rank number six team in the rivalry game. So when do you think the final decision was really made? Do early game issues with inconsistent offenses have anything to do with that? So, yes, uh, I do uh, definitely believe, and I mentioned that in the podcast, that the warning signs really showed against the cupcake games, against Kent State, against Sacramento State, when the offense really had a hard time moving the ball, really had a hard time putting points on the scoreboard. And it's, like you said, one thing to score only 10 points against Michigan State on the road, even though Michigan State was definitely not the team that we expected it to be in 2019. Having an anemic performance against a team like Utah, one of the best defenses in the country, those are results that you're not pleased with, but you can live with somewhat. But you hit the nail on the head, Rob. Those big-time inconsistencies, those glaring deficiencies that showed up really early in the year by the ASU offense – I think convinced Herm Edwards that a change was needed 
much before the four-game losing streak took place. Another question from Sandoval Rob. Also, where we are in recruiting tight ends again, will these uh, changes help the decisions to play there? I will have that information in the aforementioned recruiting piece that I will post uh, later on this week. You will have your answer over there to that question. In terms of how many currently committed players I see as gray shirts and how many, uh, this is a question from Santan Devil. Again, uh, just hang on tight. The recruiting article is coming in the next day or two, and I'll answer all the questions over there. If not immediately in the article itself, then definitely after I field questions from my subscribers in the Devil's Huddle premium message board. Another kicking question here from Sandtown Devil. Has a ship settled on Brandon Reese? Do you foresee another kicker coming in who can kick through the end zone consistently and have some range at 50 yards? Uh, yes, absolutely do expect a walk-on to be present in spring practice to provide competition for the ASU kickers and see if that individual can, as you mentioned, have a larger range when it comes to field goal kicking and can also be a better touchback kickoff guy. That is something that somewhat hurt Arizona State, maybe not in a dramatic way, but definitely was one of the shortcomings of the entire team. And I definitely expect the coaching staff to try and shore that up. But again, it's probably going to be more of a walk-on rather than a scholarship player. Next question comes from ASU House of Heat. What are the chances that ASU goes after an NFL guy as an offensive coordinator, dynamic recruiting person on offense in high school, uh, coach named Jason Mons joining the staff. I'll answer the second question first. I know that the Jason Mons name, the head coach at Scottsdale Sora High School, is a name that was brought up quite a bit last year, will be brought up again a lot right now with all the coaches that left the program. I have no doubt that ASU is going to explore that option, how much they do explore it compared to other options remains to be seen, but I have little doubt that Jason Monson minimum is going to get a phone call from Arizona State just to kind of see where both sides are at in terms of possible employment. But as far as an NFL coach being the next offensive coordinator, yes, I do believe that that ultimately is a route that Herm Edwards is going to take. Another question about uh, who would, would I see about the short list of the guys that you'd like to see ASU go after. Um, again, I did mention the two names earlier. And uh, as far as more names that ASU may go after, I think it's something that I would just wait a day or two just to see how the current names that I mentioned earlier in the podcast do or do not materialize. Next question comes from 0311 Sun Devil. Do you have a feel of what the pulse of the team is in regards to Likens, Yantis, and Fisher? To the best of my knowledge, I don't know if the offense is really dismayed, if you will, with those decisions. I don't think it's really going to affect them that much, especially when you have interim coaches already part of the staff, coaches that they're very, very familiar with to begin with. So I don't think that um, you're going to see an offense that will be sputtering in the ball game, wherever that may be, just because of these departures. I don't get that sense at all. I think that these players want to roll with the punches. They want to close out the year on a strong note. And uh, despite having a different coach to guide them in their respective positions, I don't see them really taking a step back. Um, just curious what the vibe has been. I mean, were they loved 
in regards to those three coaches, just another coach with players frustrated like fans by the lack of consistency, identity. I really can't say that I heard any complaints from the players themselves on, on either of those three coaches. So I really can't speak to that. But again, I don't think that the level of admiration of the players to those coaches was at such a high level that now their absence of the program is really going to cause certain players on this side of the ball to regress. So that's basically a, a long answer to a short question uh, in a way. I don't. I just don't see the departures really taking the mental toll that some may think on the team. Next question. Uh, this is a Miami Dolphins question from the original Sun Devil. How I feel about former ASU punter Matt Hawk throwing more touchdown passes in the league than uh, three decades worth of U of A quarterbacks. What can I say, my friend? It's been a weird Sunday, and that uh, has just added one more to the list. Dolphins are still pathetic, but it was nice to see that trick play executed by a former ASU player, no less. Next question comes from uh, Jason EGZ. Is uh, Van Fillinger a silent commit? Uh, he's a player, a uh, defensive lineman from Utah that decommitted from Texas early on Sunday. And do I see him as a silent commit? Um, even though it's a question I would normally uh, answer in the article, I can say that right now I don't see him at all as a silent commit. I don't see him at all as a high probability. Perhaps ASU sends out a feeler just to see if it's a, really an avenue that they should pursue. But by and large, I wouldn't count on him as being a viable prospect for this 2020 class. Moving to the questions from Twitter. Uh, the first one comes from at Justin for ASU. Do you think the new assistant coaches will be hired before signing day? Herm Edwards made it sound like he's going to really take his time, and I don't think he'll be rushed into a decision. He feels that the departure of those three coaches is not going to affect the current commits to the program. The prospects are still out there. So I don't think Edwards is going to force the issue and make sure that there is a coach or two or three in place before that December 18th signing day. Uh, I think it might be a little hard to f fulfill three positions in such a short period of time if you want to be diligent with your search. So I kind of doubt that you'll see all three positions filled. But if Hugh Jackson is somebody that ASU already zeroed in and somebody that can really, in theory, sign right here, right now, then I think that they may do that. And if they do that, it will be a obviously a good two or so weeks before signing day. But again, I think it's uh, pretty uh, open for uh, discussion whether there's going to be any hirings before or after December 18th. I don't feel, again, that Herm Edwards feels pressure to do that. Uh, the next question comes from uh, at Giselle Louisiana 15 or 5. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Not an easy one uh, to pronounce, especially after a long Sunday. Uh, possible offensive uh Coordinator candidates, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Hugh Jackson, I believe, is the candidate right now that may be the uh, clubhouse leader, if you will. I'm not aware of any other candidates I would consider viable, but that could definitely change in the uh, days to come. The next question comes from at MC Sundevil. Should Dino Benjamin stand out of the year or declare for the NFL? I think that you know, Benjamin is not going to improve his stock dramatically if he stayed for his senior year. So going to the NFL right now is a prudent move to make. You know, Benjamin has been very lucky as to not be 
severely injured when he had uh, his impressive sophomore and junior campaigns. And I don't know if he would really want to run the risk of coming back to coming back in 2020 and having the possibility of being injured and then really seeing his NFL stock plummet. As we know, the perception of NFL scouts of running backs is really not that high to begin with. So I really don't see any value of him staying for his uh, senior year in terms of bettering his NFL stock. Thus, I believe Eno Benjamin has played his last game at Sun Devil Stadium, if not played his last game in a Sun Devil uniform. So that will do it for this episode of the Devil's Jockeys podcast. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. And we'll have a lot more news on DevilsAddis.com on the search for those free vacancies. Like I said, a lot of recruiting news taking place between now and the 18th when signing day takes place. Again, I want to remind you, if you're not a subscriber already, make sure you take advantage of our holiday subscription promotion. It only is good until December 3rd, so don't miss on this opportunity to not only get huge savings, but free Arizona State gear, which is an enticing proposition any time of year, but especially during the holiday season. Just go to the front page at devilsartist.com for all the details. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, have a good week. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town